name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Almighty, ever-living God, who adorned the sacred body of your church with the confessions of holy martyrs, grant, we pray, that just as the glorious passion of St. Ignatius of Antioch, which we celebrate today, brought him eternal splendor, so it may be for us unending protection. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Yesterday evening we spoke about perfection, the call to holiness. Just a little few reminders of the reflections. Christian perfection is not and never can be human perfection. Christian perfection is the perfection of a relationship with God that shows itself to be true even amid the seemingly unimportant aspects of life. I am called to live in such a perfect relationship with God that my life produces a yearning for God in the lives of others, not admiration for myself. Remember, it's not that God can put us in his little museum of holy-looking people and, and be noticed, but that others be drawn to the, the way of life that we're witnessing to, that we represent. We pray in joy, to be joyful, appropriately joyful, as we're living this Christian life. And I left you with that question, if Jesus were to come to you now and say, come follow me, how would you respond? If you were to hesitate, my parents, my wife, my children, my job, etc., how might you change, be converted, in order that you not hesitate? To be sure, this requires a change in how you think. I have to think differently about my life, think differently about my, the things that I gotta do. But it's not only a change in how we think. Right? How many of you are caught in certain patterns that you know are not healthy? You know they're not healthy, but you're caught in them. You know they're not. I mean, it's not like you need to be persuaded. You know they're not healthy. So it's not only a change in how you think. And, and remember, the, the rich young man wanted eternal life. He wanted eternal life. He was asking, how do I get there? And he went away sad because he wasn't ready to get rid of everything, give it to the poor, and follow Christ. So, so what do we need, then? This morning, I'm going to focus on courage, also known as fortitude. I'm, I'm sure there are good distinctions between the two, but I'm using them interchangeably, courage and fortitude, because we need courage to live this Christian life. I would suggest that men, in a particular way, 
need heroes and want to be heroes. Men know, you know, that you were born for great things, to do great things. And this is the sadness of sin and of time-wasting, procrastination. Like, if you're caught in procrastination or wasting time, you know, I wasn't born for this. I wasn't created to wallow in this nothingness. I was born to do great things. I've created to do great things. Now, evil wants to discourage you, keep you down, keep you procrastinating, keep you off the path. And society, it seems, today, also wants to discourage you. I mean, people don't say that, but it seems that in some ways, men are being discouraged by our society. All of society's problems have been caused by men. Didn't you know that? And if you're white and of European descent, you're just about as bad as anyone can get. And soon enough, if you're also a priest, then that's really, really bad, right? And we don't want to hear from you. Be quiet. Time for you to be quiet. Sit down and listen. So evil wants to discourage you, and in some ways, society wants to discourage, discourage men. I'm not saying that men have always been perfect. You know better than I. We all know well. We haven't been. Men haven't been. Women haven't been, right? That should not keep us from aiming at and finding ways to be heroic. I've thought often that one way that a particular tragedy is the loss of family life in, in our society. The loss of the man as the head of the family. So even if he were at work, the tenth man on the totem pole or the, or the lowest person at work, so to speak, when he was home, he was the man. This is his home. This is his kingdom. He's the leader, the provider, the warrior, the protector, right? I don't mean lording it over his wife. Lord, no, I'm talking about real virtues, the virtues of the man of the house. And so the loss of family life, all that, all that man has is lowness. You know, he's, he's low on the, on the scale at work. If he has a home, he's low there. And now in society, it seems, there's a desire to push the man to the periphery. So the deck is in some ways stacked against you, against us. So courage, courage is called for. What, what can we say about the courageous man? He has fear, appropriate fear, of dangerous things. And he has persistence. He's not going to cower in the face of fear. But he does have fear. 
to overcome that fear appropriately. So think of the, the noise in the middle of the night and your wife says, can you go check that out? Can you please walk toward the danger? Walk toward the possible danger. Not carelessly. You'll be prudent, right? And you'll, you'll be careful in how you do that, but you walk toward the danger, knowing there's danger, but knowing also that this must be done. You have to address this. Now, the ancients, ancient thinkers, had a great sense of the, the virtues and of courage and certainly of the soldier in battle who had to overcome his fear of being wounded, his fear of being killed. St. Thomas Aquinas opened up the scope of our understanding of courage or fortitude to a broader understanding. So his understanding of courage focused perhaps more on endurance, persistence, endurance, than on aggression. So you think of the soldier being appropriately aggressive. And the principal act of perfect courage for Aquinas points toward martyrdom, toward Christ, who was the perfect martyr, the perfect paradigm of the courageous person. <coughs> Martyrdom. How do I develop courage? Aristotle, in his book, or his treatise on, on virtue, spoke about doing virtuous acts, or doing, doing the acts of a virtuous person. Like, I know this is the right thing to do. I don't really want to do it. I know it's the right thing to do. I'm going to do it. And you do it over and over and over and over, and it becomes part of who you are. I often, with students, would talk about, I would ask them, how many of you are good at writing thank you notes? You know, in a class of 30, maybe three or four people would raise their hand. Good at writing thank you notes. And I say, well, why are you good at writing thank you notes? Well, my mother made me write thank you notes, right? How did you like that? I didn't like it at all. How do you feel now about that, that habit that you have? Pretty good. Yeah, my mother taught me to do the act of a thankful person, and gradually it appears I'm becoming a thankful person. <laughs> I know what it means to give thanks. I'm happy to give thanks. I'm happy to do this. Maybe not perfectly yet, but it's, it's growing, right? So, so this is true for us as we look at what, what we need to develop in our own lives how virtue needs to develop. Another example, uh, I know a couple, and I'm sure there are many, maybe many of you are in this, this category. Uh, pretty much every time they part company, each says to the other, I love you. <clears throat> so going to the drugstore, going to work. And I'll bet you in some of those times, they don't really feel it. But they do it. And it becomes something, it becomes part of, it seems, as I've observed this couple over many years, it's become part of their disposition. And now the children do it, right? They, they, they speak to one another that way, to develop a disposition of love, to be reminded 
that even if I'm not feeling it right now, I really do love this person and I'm going to, I'm going to develop a, a disposition in that direction, a settled character, <clears throat> a settled character of, of love and of care for this other person. So think of the things that we do as um, during Lent, giving up certain things, fasting, getting up earlier maybe. Those of you who, who are runners or have engaged in sports, there's training and often, uh, you know, I think back in, for myself and some, some of the training we did in, uh, for basketball before the season would start involved running um, beyond what you thought you could have done, right? Suicide sprints, beyond what you thought you could have done. And I often think back on how valuable it was to have had that experience, to be, to be prepared to go when you don't feel like going to go further. So we, we have to find ways to train ourselves because the courageous man is both fearful and bold. It's pretty bold to go downstairs when you hear the noise in the middle of the night and you live in an area where this may be a violent person. Now, courage may also involve not going down, right? We have to be careful here, right? You don't, you don't, you don't want to be rash. You know, there may, be, there may be a better way to handle the issue at hand. The, the man who's developed the virtue of courage knows when to go down, when to you know, do something else to address the danger. So he's bold at the right time, in the right manner, for the right reason, <laughs> right? So they're, they're, you have to develop the virtue to know how to, to aim properly at doing the right thing. I asked a um, priest in Connecticut, who I've known for many, many years, what I should say about courage to uh, men. And he said, look and act courageous even if you don't feel courageous. People, your children, your wife, are looking for you to be a leader, to have confidence through you that all will be well to have confidence through you that all will be well. You could say, well, what if I die? What if I get executed? Well, right, nevertheless. We celebrate St. Ignatius today, Ignatius of Antioch. He was executed, eaten by the lions. All is well. All is well. He followed Christ to the end, and was confident he'd be living with Christ in eternity. All will be well. Don't be afraid of those who can only kill the body, as we heard in, in the gospel last night. They can kill you, but they can't harm you. Something that, that um, Socrates, as we know through Plato, um, sort of exemplified, right? He, he thought, he said, no one can really harm me, only I can harm myself because no one can touch my soul, only I can cultivate, only I can do wrong, and that's, that harms me. But if I'm doing right, even if they kill me, I'm not being harmed. That's why people often think of him as a, you know, a prefiguring, in a sense, of, of a Christ figure. 
So um, I want to refer now to the one of the first general audiences, maybe the first one, of John Paul II, about a month after he was elected. So he talks about courage in that, in that general audience. He says, whom do we regard as a strong, courageous man? The soldier who defends his homeland, exposed to danger. In peacetime, we highly esteem persons who distinguish themselves for civil courage. Someone who saves someone who's about to drown, who provides help in natural calamities such as fire, floods, etc. And he refers also to St. Charles Borromeo, his patron saint, who distinguished himself as a courageous man when during the plague in Milan, Milano, he carried out his pastoral ministry among the inhabitants of the city. He risked, risked getting the plague in ministering to the inhabitants of the city. One of the things I read recently, uh, basically it was a, a challenge to how we're handling the virus as a church. The statistics, and I may not have them exactly right, but in one of the plagues, 10% of the population was wiped out. 40% of the priests and bishops. Because they were out with the dying. My heart goes out now in a particular way to nursing home residents who cannot even be visited by a priest. It's awful. It's awful. We think also, he says, of those who climb Mount Everest or of the astronauts who set foot on the moon for the first time. Some of these, he says, are well known and enjoy a certain fame. Others are less known, but bear witness in themselves to great, even heroic, virtue. A woman, already mother of a large family, who was advised by so many to suppress a new life in her womb by undergoing the operation of interruption of pregnancy. And she replies firmly, no. She certainly feels all the difficulty that this no brings with it, difficulty for herself, for her husband, for the whole family, and yet she replies no. The new human life conceived in her is of value too great, too sacred, for her to be able to give in to such pressure. This reminds me, um, I had an insight many years ago that you know, we often hear of the, the baby in the womb being a bunch of cells or a clump of cells are not human yet. And the insight I had was the reason women have abortions is because it's a human being. Because of all of the responsibilities associated with having a human being, giving birth to a human being, and facing the challenge of maybe a man who's not going to stick around, right, a family who will abandon me. So clearly, I would say, that those, we need to pray for the courage in those young women, and not always young, but because they really do face the fact that this is a big deal. This is a big deal. They have to be prepared to say no, even facing all of those fears, because something so great is present. And of course, we have to be available to assist as we can. 
help those women say yes, or those families to say yes. Pope goes on, either also a man who's promised freedom and also an easy career provided he denies his own principles or approves of something that is against his sense of honesty. He too replies no, though faced by threats on the one side and attractions on the other. Great career, money, house on the beach, no job, desolation. Am I prepared, are you prepared to make that choice? And what will your friends say? What will your friends say? So what about you? What are some of the things you might be facing for which you need to develop better the virtue of courage? Maybe a job that you don't really like, but that you need to keep. Maybe there's some way that you need to, to give yourself more to that job, or do the hard work of finding another job if that's possible. But it does require courage, because there's something here you don't feel like doing, or something, maybe even fear it, right? Relatives that you find very difficult to endure. Maybe that's one of the blessings of the virus, right? Maybe there won't be a whole lot of visiting going on um, Thanksgiving and Christmas. A period in your marriage when your wife seems more focused on other people or other things. How do you respond? How do you be loving when you feel that way? A sense, and I think this happens in many men, probably many women too, but a sense that life has passed you by. I asked recently uh, during a homily, uh, this was to um, mostly religious what is the nature of the gap between your first fervor when you knew you wanted to become a religious and today? Like you were going to do all these great things, life was going to be different, and what's it look like today? Well, we all kind of possibly face that gap. What's the gap the day of your wedding, you know, your plans, the kind of children you were going to have? You know, and today, your career, the sense that life has passed you by. Maybe some of you have something of that sense. Children, your children seem not at all to appreciate all the sacrifices you've made for them. That's a tough one. And unfortunately, often it is the case that the children don't think deeply on those matters until the parents have died. And you, you may never hear that thank you from your children. And yet you, can, you need the courage to continue to do what you know is right to do for your children, for your family, even without that affirmation. So Pope John Paul says, there are many, many great manifest manifestations of, of courage, often heroic, of which nothing is written in the newspapers, or of which little is known. Only the human conscience knows them, and God knows. So he offered a special tribute to those who have quietly, unrecognizably been courageous, said yes when they needed to say yes, and no when they needed to say no. 
St. Thomas speaks of the man, the, the, the virtuous man, as being ready to face danger, ready to put up with adversities for a just cause, for truth, for justice. Ready to face danger, ready to put up with adversities for a just cause, for truth, for justice. So the virtue of courage always involves a certain overcoming of human weakness and particularly of fear. By nature, we fear affliction, danger, suffering. So the Pope says, not only on the battlefield, but also in hospital wards or on beds of pain, in concentration camps, in places of de deportation. There are real heroes there, men of courage. Now we live in a climate, a society of threats, oppression, and persecution. We don't always feel it. You didn't have to call up the governor or the mayor to ask permission to come to this retreat, I assume, right? Yet you were free. But there are ways that society is or is planning to oppress and persecute our families, our friends, ourselves. I was reading yesterday about eight-year-old children who are convinced they are of the other sex. There's a tremendous pressure in our society to affirm that child as being of the other sex and for everybody to conform to that. Now it's complicated and tragic that a young child at eight wants to be of the other sex. There's something weird going on in our society and in the world that that would even be happening. Part of me thinks it's happening because we keep talking about it, it's out there, right? That it's, it's causing people to think that about those things. But that's really a threat especially when you're in a corporation or in a position where you have to affirm these, this kind of untruth, this kind of untruth. The loss of conscience protections seems to be on the horizon for doctors who will not perform, for example, trans surgeries or abortions. So therefore, the loss of jobs, the loss of livelihood. True enough, you can still follow Christ, right? We're not going to say that the person who loses his job can't follow Christ. He can. The person who's fired and hated by all of his co-workers, we're not going to say he can't follow Christ. He can. That was the, part of the point of last night. But it does require greater preparation for martyrdom. Pope says, Pope John Paul says, man must in a certain sense go beyond his own limits and transcend himself, running the risk of an unknown situation, the risk of being frowned upon, the risk of laying himself open to unpleasant consequences, insults, degradations, material losses, perhaps imprisonment and persecution, for persecution. How do you be sustained by this? We have to be sustained by a great love for truth and for good. So think of the other, one of the other tragedies of our time, 
We can't even speak of the truth of human sexuality out loud. So the notion that I'm conforming to the truth of this child's body, of this child's feminine or masculine, maleness or femaleness, the fact that, that I'm going to be challenged when I speak of the truth of that, we're in a very difficult time. And I'm not saying you should run around you know, keep, and keep repeating that all the time. You have to, the prudent man knows when to speak, when it's appropriate to speak, but isn't afraid to when it is appropriate. I wrote a note to, to a young father recently. We were talking about martyrdom. And he has uh, four young children, a fifth on the way. And I wrote that the tragedy is that so many Catholics have no clue how close we are to real persecution. Parents of young children have serious challenges. You want your children to be happy, successful, to spend time in your vacation homes. I wrote to him, you know, ironically. He may never have a vacation home, but he might. He's pretty, pretty, you know, driven. Yet really, you are called in some meaningful way to prepare them for martyrdom. Did you think about that when you're raising your children? I'm, I want to raise my child so he's prepared to be martyred. I mean, there's a way that that's precisely. As you try to get them the best schools and the best education, right, and you want them to find the best spouses, you're, you are also, underneath it all, preparing them to stand for the truth even when everyone is against them. So you want them to be in the world, loving the world, including those who are persecuting them, but being prepared to lose everything but God himself. So the virtue of courage proceeds hand in hand, this is John Paul, with the capacity of sacrificing oneself. The capacity of sacrificing oneself. Now when we look back, we see heroic people who did heroic things. At the time, people saw craziness. Why would St. Thomas More be willing to die? All the other bishops, but John Fisher, you know, were willing to, to sign on with Henry VIII. Why was he so stupid? Why would Thomas More abandon his family, right? So, so to be prepared for martyrdom, it's, it's dangerous to look back at these heroic people that we, we notice because they weren't always noticed at the time. And so, so each of us will be required in certain times to do things that others will not cheer you on about. So the pharmacist who will not dispense drugs that will kill a developing baby is likely to lose his job. The little sisters of the poor who will not provide contraception. Now we hear voices in both cases. Why are you so stupid? It's just, just provide the contraception and keep caring for the elderly. You're not, you're not aborting the baby. Just provide the drug. They can get it down the street anyway. Right? So people will view them prepared to lose their jobs, prepared to lose the great work of the little sisters of the poor as being just stupid in the way getting in the way of progress. Now why, why would you do the right thing? Well, back to the, the call to be heroes. And the, the short way of phrasing it is, I was born for greater things than this. 
I was brought into being for greater things than this. And John Paul says, Our generation needs men who can repeat with holy obstinacy, I was born for greater things. So let us pray for the gift of the Holy Spirit, the gift of fortitude. When man lacks the strength to transcend himself in view of higher values, such as truth, justice, vocation, faithfulness in marriage, this gift from above, the Holy Spirit, must make each of us a strong man and at the right moment say to us deep down, have courage. Some final thoughts from John Paul too on, uh, from his homily, as uh, first homily as Pope. <clears throat> he focused on three themes, sacrifice, humility, and then of course courage. John Paul reminded his listeners that the papacy was an office that called for sacrifice even to the point of martyrdom. And he talks about the, uh, the, the tiara. So, so the, the martyr uh, willing to die for the truth. Pope Paul VI was the last pope to have been uh, been crowned with the tiara, which was a, a sign of his temporal power, so to speak. But he left it up to his successors whether or not to, to wear that. And so Pope John Paul spoke of the humility of not wearing the tiara. It's a symbol of temporal power that he thinks we need to focus, immerse ourselves in, in humility and a meditation on the mystery of the supreme power of Christ himself. Right? He was concerned that the Pope would, would shine forth more than Christ. Right? So this, this is, um, so the, this would be analogous to what I spoke about last night. Your goal is not to be looked upon as a holy man, what a great holy man, but through you, people need, should see Christ. You should show forth by how you're walking, how you're choosing, always pointing to Christ. So sacrifice, you've all experienced that. You may feel strongly that you want to do it better than you have. Sacrifice. Humility, you've had to grow smaller while someone else grows larger. I often fathers speak of that with the first child. Uh, that, that's their first experience of their wife finding another human being she loves more, at least for a time, right? You have to grow smaller and still serve, serve that wife, serve that child. And then courage, so sacrifice, humility, courage. And his famous line, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Trust in Christ. Let Christ speak to you. He alone 
has words of life, yes, of eternal life. So I'll leave you with the final question. What specifically are the difficult yes and no moments that you face today? What specifically are the yes and no moments? The things you need to say yes to, but you're kind of hesitant to, or don't want to, don't feel like it. The things you need to say no to, but you just find yourself too weak to say no. What, are, what specifically are those, those difficulties? And in what area of your life do you need to develop the virtue of courage? What do you fear? Failure at work? Loss of the respect of your children? In what area of life have you indeed, so I'm giving you another question here, have you indeed been courageous? Can you look back and see a moment, a time when you say, I really, I really was courageous there. I really was courageous. And I want you to reflect on how you developed that habit. How did you develop that habit, that way of moving forward despite your fears? So specifically, what are the difficult yes and no moments in your life where you need courage? And then secondly, to reflect back on moments when you were courageous, what got you there? What got you to that courageous stance? Maybe there was something higher, more important that you had an insight into. So, yep, that's what got me there. And I had done these other things ahead of time that helped me be ready to do the right thing when it was called for. Let us pray. May our homage be pleasing to you, O Lord, just as you accepted St. Ignatius, the wheat of Christ, made pure bread through his martyrdom and passion. We ask this through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.